strap in and hold on tight as we get high on the roller coaster that is life. We're your hosts, Melina and Jordan, and welcome to our podcast where we discuss all kinds of topics, experiences, tips, and tricks to help you roll through life with some sense of direction, and at the very least, fake it till you make it. This week's topic is uh, LGBTQ icons. And we're getting as many in as we yep, can we're gonna possibly just try can. To, try to get as many folks on this episode as we can. Um, and I know my the last episode I said that I was ready to do my guy, but we have decided on what we're going to do next month, so we'll get to that at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Consider it almost like a bonus yeah. overlap of pride. Yeah. It's a smidge bonus overlap yeah. of pride. They go hand in hand. They do. Like, the conversation's definitely there, but mm-hmm. you'll have to listen to the whole episode to figure out what it's going to be. <laughs> um, I know it's been, like, Two Two days days. since we recorded, but do you have any Milo? I do. I have like a little, a lot has happened in 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the training that I was supposed to have got canceled because Juneteenth became a holiday, so the VA has off. So instead of training, we're having to go back into what we were doing for a day because we don't have that off because it's not in our. Yeah. It's not in our contract. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like, okay. I mean, it's still good. We're getting, they're, they're going to, you know, compensate us for our time working on it now that it's a holiday and everything like that. But it's just like the wildness of trying to figure that out, making sure, especially since we have like a sister company, like they're, we're kind of partnered with them. So it's like, are they going to do the same thing? Are we going to do? What do we need to say? We got to make sure everybody's good, but we're all cohesive. So it was a lot of balance there. Not bad. And, um. So that was kind of hectic, but it's nice because that means it's an easy day. Everybody's going back to normal, and I can actually leave at the time I wanted to leave for my girls' trip instead of having to stay a little later and then not getting there until super late. So That's nice. little win there. And yeah. the other big win is that the bank emailed us, and Yay. the appraisal is approved. Yay! So that's one more notch in our belt that this is for real. Let me praise the appraisal. Oh my god, seriously, I need to do something. So that's honestly been like my high and my low, like the stress of today, because poor Brian, he's trying, like my other co-manager who helps out on the team, he's like on vacation, so like I'm messaging him throughout the day, and I'm like, I'm sorry I gotta call you. He's like, I haven't left yet, it's fine, I'm just like, you know, I'm getting ready to go, and I was like, just letting you know about these yeah. fires that are happening, so if people reach out to you... You are aware. <laughs> so it was just like... <laughs> but also... Yeah. yeah, right. Like, it was like cut and, cut and run there for a minute. I feel like minute. that's similar to what my high-low has been like, the last two days. Yeah, not bad. Just like, what the fuck is happening? Yay, but what? <laughs> yeah. I took my car to the shop last night, which I was planning on doing. and In the plans. It was in the plans. And I got it back today, so that was like nice that quick turnaround yeah i i'm you're not like out of car yeah, for a I week i love my mechanic so much like he when i go in he's like we got this and this done but this doesn't need to be done right now but just so you know keep an eye on it yeah and it was less than what he quoted me for which is like even better even better so that's a high because I've been stressing about I I am taking my car up to Minneapolis before I get my rental car to go out east. So I'm like stressing that having to get that all done before my trip and then also have enough money for everything and Right. Like going Yeah. <laughs> on top of the bills like I have to pay. So but yeah. That was that's probably my high and my low, other than the fact that it's a hundred fucking, fucking degrees shit. out today. Literally, it's oppressive. Like, your AC isn't even working. I have my AC on, and my house was at, like, 79 degrees. And I'm like, I mean, it's not hot, hot where I'm, like, sweating. That's but I'm hot, like, hot for me. I would, if my house was... The house is, I'm, like, because I don't have, like, windows in my middle room because of the way my house is set up, it doesn't let in so much of the heat. So mm. that saves us in that area. But, like, if you're in one one end of the house or the other, it's, like, you notice it. Yeah. The other one, when you're in, like, the middle living room area, you're kind of, like... This is balmy, and I'm not really comfortable with it because I can feel the AC trying to work, and thankfully the windows aren't, you know, messing with that with the sunlight. But it's just like, Ugh. and I looked at it, and I was like, oh fuck this, turning this shit down. Yeah. I, I don't care if I'm only have like a week left in this house. I'm gonna be fucking comfy. 
Um, <laughs> I went to my AC because I'm like, is it not? Is it not working? Like it works really well in my room and in the living room, but I was in the dining room. And I go and it says 68. And I was like, hmm. And I was still hot, but then the AC. The vent was closed. Oh, my God. The vent was closed, and I was like, what? who closed this? It was probably from before we even moved in, because... I would do that shit, like, in our old apartment. He would close it, because, like, the bedroom would get really cold. And there's cold. a huge and I'm like, window in the there's dining room. There's a window room. right by our bed, Adam. It's going to be fucking hotter than shit when I wake up. Yeah, and there's a window right in the dining room, and I'm like, I'm, you know me, I hate the heat, so I was like, fuck this shit. No, yeah, no. Totally get it. <laughs> yeah. Totally get it. But... Should we get this ball rolling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Um, you can go first. I can go first. So I know we mentioned it a couple episodes ago. Um, this lovely book. Um, what's the title of the book again, Jordan? Fifty Queers Who Changed the World: A Celebration of LGBTQ Plus Icons. Um, by Dan Jones, illustrated by uh, Michelle Rosenthal. Mm-hmm. So. We're just going to read from this book, which gives a lot of great insight, little blurbs about so many amazing icons. And so hopefully this gets you excited and wants you to check out their book. We are accepting sponsorships if you are looking for them. Yeah. Always. Go ahead, Jordan. Who Um, who are you starting us off with? I, I mean, it's an obvious one, and I feel like he is well known, but as we know from the music month, um... Queen is one of my favorites. Uh, so I'm doing Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all, I, maybe not we all, if there's some younger listeners. But yeah. I feel like the the movie. Bohemian Rhapsody helps. Yeah, that, that's fairly recent. Yeah. Okay. Um, wearer of sequins, chest-bearing one pieces, eye-watering tight tights, and bulging wet-look leather, toothy Freddie Mercury, born... Fork and Bolsara, is that how you say? Uh, I'm I'm not quite For, sure. Farak Bolsara. Sorry. Yes. I put an extra letter that wasn't even in there. It's story of my life. It's okay. Um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about that. Go ahead. Yeah, 1946 to 1991. He passed two weeks before I was born. Oh, I at least was alive, even though I was only like yeah. five. <laughs> yeah. Like literally two weeks. Um Freddie Mercury was the impossibly camp frontman of legendary pop rock outfit Queen. As a performer, Mercury would trust himself trust himself in fetish gear with aviators, white vests, denim, and studded bicep bands. I'm sorry, this heat is getting to my brain. I don't know why I can't read right now. <laughs> I might need to take my glasses off. That might be why. Let me do that. Oh. You get to experience the yeah. weight of her glasses. When she yeah. says she's blind, she means <laughs> it. I'm nearsighted and farsighted, so sometimes <laughs> words on pages are difficult for me. Okay, outfits that seem to scream gay sex to his adoring and surprisingly mainstream fans who would do little more than tighter and tut all his balls out sexuality. In his early 20s, Mercury performed with a couple of uh, forgettable bands and hawked vintage fashion at London's King... Kingston's Market, finally joining fellow musicians Brian May and Roger Taylor to form Queen in 1970. He penned and performed Killer Queen 1974, Bohemian Rhapsody 1975, and Don't Stop Me Now. That is seriously like, I, l- I love Bohemian Rhapsody, but that one is that my one song. is like... I just get so fucking jazzed every yeah, time I hear it. Every single time. Every single... I, I didn't mean to cut off, but I'm like, that one is I mean, my yeah. actual, like... I love... That's the Queen song I go 100% I literally, on. like, I, the best of Queen was I listened front to back all through my freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. So, like, I didn't, obviously, it wasn't alive at that time. So, like, I didn't realize what the popular, the real popular songs right. were until I was, like, an adult, you know? Oh, yeah. It was but Bohemian inter- Rhapsody didn't even get um, the notice that it should have right until, away uh, later. Until Wayne's World. Yeah. That's really when it became iconic with the headbanging scene yep. in the car. Everybody knows what I'm talking about if you've seen Wayne's World. Yeah, like, everyone knows. It's the scene. Everybody knows. Everybody. Yeah. All right. Balancing a, st- a shy offstage persona with an eye-popping onstage creation, his set with Queen at Live Aid in 1985 is thought of as the landmark rock performance, which, yes. I have a Live Aid t-shirt. I think we talked about that. Yeah. Did I, I can't remember if I covered... 
the movie or the it, it, band? It, it was remember. the band. It was the band. Okay. Yeah. The tabloid press loved reporting on Mercury's um, lavish lifestyle. Lavish? Lavish. Mm. <laughs> so many words. Uh, yeah, lush. I don't know. It's a French word, probably. Oh, I wanted to say lush, but I'm like, is that, that's Luchy. not. Yeah. Luche. Luche lifestyle. <laughs> His antics. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. His antics filled column inches in, column inches and grew his celebrity, but it proved a fickle relationship by 1990. Rumors of Mercury's HIV status saw him doorstepped at home in ambush at airports. Hacks, <clears throat> Hacks who once celebrated Mercury's excess now slut-shamed him, and pictures of him looking thin and frail hit the front pages. He died the following year. Although Mercury was criticized for not publicly engaging with lesbian and gay groups and HIV awareness organizations, he did, mu- he did much to protect his privacy and those around him. He dragged his own version of queerness in all its scantily glad glory into the mainstream and that is something that like everyone it was one of those things like everybody knew mm-hmm. and i i do feel like yes with pride you should have pride and be proud but also like that was his business and he wasn't he never found a point in time to really well here's here's the thing Nobody owes you coming yeah, out. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's Nobody him. owes you coming out. If he never felt like out. he needed to, then he didn't. And he was very, very the kind of person that was like, does it really matter? Well, like, and I think it's important to stress that he wasn't just someone who was seen as a gay man. He was a bisexual He man. was very sexually fluid. But he like, was bisexual. That's what yeah. he himself identified himself as. And it's very easy for people to just say he was gay because they focus on the men he was with, right. but not the woman that changed his life. Right. And so I know we see a lot of that in Bohemian Rhapsody, but I can't stress it enough that's just bi erasure at the exact same time. Like, he right. was a bi man. He happened to be in relationships with men probably more often than not with women. That doesn't make him one or the other. Still bisexual. Still but bisexual. But, I, I mean, again, nobody owes you coming out. That's your yeah. personal story. That's your personal preference. Like, and that's the thing of comfort, especially, like, now. It's still very, like, scary to come out. Can you imagine during the height of basically a genocidic, like, disease coming out? Yeah. And, no, I feel like he never hid his sexuality. He just was like, oh, why do you... Why do you care? Why do you care? Right. Like, what's what is going my on? Life, the way I live my life. Who cares affects you? if I'm with XYZ or ABC? Like, honestly, yeah. forget that. So Too many people. Too many people care. It's fine. It's fine. So, I'm going to go all the way back. I'm going a little farther. So, I'm going to do someone who uh, made an impact in our daily lives. Um, who had a very tragic life because of being in the community and identifying as a gay man. Um, so that is Alan Turing. So I'm sure people probably know Alan Turing. They also have a movie about him with Benedict Cumberbatch, and I think it's called, like, Intelligent Game or Imitation Game or something like that. Oh, that movie's about him? I think so. I haven't seen it, but and I, I could be wrong, about. but I think that's it. I, don't, don't put me on the title, but... Uh, that is that is a movie. But, yeah, um, he's gotten more <laughs> recognition kind of throughout the years for what he's done. Um, so he's a genius computer scientist. Uh, he sa- from 1912 to 1954, Alan Turing uh, saved the world from the invention of modern computing and artificial intelligence to being instrumental to the Allies winning World War II. His legacy is overwhelming. Yet by the end of his life, this eccentric, creative, madcap man was hardly seen as a hero. In fact, quite the opposite. During uh, during shown from the start at 13, he was packed off to boarding school and finding the strict way of teaching uninspiring. He studied on his own, becoming absorbed in Einstein's theory of relativity. At 17, he met with something altogether more complicated. Turing fell in love with his classmate, Christopher Morcom. But when Christopher died suddenly, Turing was distraught. So, right there, young love. Just Mm. sad young love. 
at King's College, Cambridge, Turing's mathematical work was groundbreaking, and after two years at Princeton, he became a leading codebreaker at Bletchley Park, the UK Code and Cipher School. His work focused on cracking the Enigma cipher machine used by enemy forces and proved to be hugely important. His research and other inventions were integral to the war effort. So because of his like great computing brain, he was able to kind of figure out this this thing that has been a burden during World War II. Yeah. This cipher like, oh, are we gonna crack the Nazis codes? We gotta know. Uh, Turing's other works are considered the foundation of computer science. His Turing test advanced IA. Uh, I had, sorry, I just had to laugh at myself because I just had like a moment of dyslexia of flipping just two letters. Just, it's always but me, it was literally so just two letters. That yeah. I'm literally trying to say AI, but yeah. I was like IA <laughs> Iowa. No, sorry. Okay, rewind. <laughs> His Turing test advanced AI via some tricky human versus machine chess matches, and his mathematical biology work informed later advances in DNA analysis. Mm -hmm. Hand in the cookie pot and everything. Uh, despite his patriotic work, OBE, the life-changing uh, and life-changing inventions, Turing was a victim of the era's anti-gay legislation. Convicted of gross indecency in 1952, he was dealt with harshly. He worried that news of his sexuality would cast a shadow over his scientific discoveries and accepted hormone treatment rather than a prison sentence. In 1954, Turing was found dead at home. The coroner recorded a verdict of suicide. He was a queer hero of science, human progress, and the pursuit of truth. Mm. So, I know... Let's start our stories off sad. Um, I mean, we <laughs> but touched like, on, you know... This is what the town is like. People feel isolated, and the suicide rate in the community is higher. I mean, this is... Higher, and, but. And, and this is going back to even what Barbara Giddings was doing. I mean, like, it was considered a mental illness. It yeah. was considered, like, something that was wrong with you. So he was, he was accepting hormone treatments when there's nothing wrong with him. Like, what is that really going to do? It's terrible. Terrible, I tell ya. All right, lay us all, lay on us. I'm doing Laverne Cox. Woo! Sorry, I'm taking a drink. <laughs> because we love her. Um, I definitely love her. She's fabulous. I follow her on Instagram, and I mean, most of us have were introduced to her from Orange is the New Black. Mm -hmm. um, but she's been around for a while, so let me... Uh, Dive in. Let's dive in. Um, I'm a black transgender chick from Mobile, Alabama. I grew up poor and working class, and I'm on the cover of magazines. It says actor, performer, writer, producer, and civil rights activist Laverne Cox, born 1972. At a time when gender is re-examined, trans stories are finally heard, and new social theories, bathroom laws, and pronouns abound. There have been few unifying voices. Cox, a natural orator has sought to build bridges as much as she has crossed swords often taking a deep breath when she could quite rightly snap we listen to cox because she's been there she was dreadfully bullied as a child and attempted suicide at 11 but made her way through using dance and performance she moved to nyc in her late teens and began her transition. Acting gave Cox a platform to finally speak out. In 2013, cult women's prison TV drama Orange is the New Black launched Cox into the mainstream. And ever since, she's perfectly calibrated her celebrity with talk shows, award ceremonies, and lectures alongside her hair flicking. <laughs> um. <laughs> Words are hard. I know, I know the word. It's uh, never mind. Okay. Mask wearing? What is that word? Um, I'm sorry. I can't see. I don't know where it was. Let's see. Uh, I think it's just bask. I'm just like, why you gotta be so extra with words? What do you mean bask wearing? What does that mean? <laughs> bask wearing wild side. <laughs> why? I'm sorry. I'm, you know what? You know what? Dan... 
I appreciate everything you've done with this book, but some of the words are unnecessary. Way to show off. Like, I get it. Like, I get it. You know how to write and read better than I do, okay? Thanks for rubbing (laughs) it in my face. (laughs) Uh, Always wanted to feel like an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. I'm literally mildly dyslexic, and it doesn't really bother me, but now that I'm, it's like... (laughs) I have it's a podcast and I can't read. It's it's, it's reading loud in class <laughs> yeah. again. I, just yeah, like, what I, paragraph can I practice trauma. before I... I'm uh, literally emailing my therapist right now. <laughs> SOS. Yeah. Having to read aloud. <laughs> Usually I feel like... I feel like as an adult, I'm so much better at it, but I don't know what it is. Just the way that... It, I probably should have read all this before I'm reading it aloud because... If you, I feel like if you've been reading a certain mm-hmm. kind of writing mm-hmm. and then to go to a different kind of writing, you're like, what? what? Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes from super, like, textbook to fluid and a little fun at the same yeah. time. You're like, wait, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Modern media indicates a growing acceptance of trans people. Time Magazine called it a tipping point when they put Cox on the cover in 2014. But she's quick to the point out this... Uh, sorry. But she's quick to point out this acceptance has limits. Those celebratory you-go-girl outpourings are generally reserved for trans women who can easily pass as female, who are glossy, sexy, and stylish with dream hair, like Cox. But using her own visibility, Cox consistently draws our attention to the other trans people who do not fit the mold, from incarcerated sex workers to teens battling bathroom bills. Passionate and engaging, Cox reminds us that not fitting in and struggling to be your authentic self is something we can all relate to. <sighs> what a dream. Seriously. I, I will say I think it's really important that she stands up for the people who don't fit into. And I don't like the the one fly I see in the that passing. sentence is like the passing. Because yeah. like I don't, well, when, when the author was talking about, uh, you know, fitting into like the mold, it's like it's, it's not a mold. It's the societal idea yeah. of and what it should be and that's that. where we have a disconnect because nobody owes you shit who gives a fuck the like, sad point is that you know it is there especially when you, we think of, like i've said before sometimes i forget not everyone is a millennial or a gen z where like we are a little bit more open-minded mm-hmm. like a lot of society is still older and so i do understand from that point when people think fitting the mold or passing it's it's like what you should aim for when in reality it's like it's, no it's whatever no. makes you feel comfortable whatever helps you if that be means, happy in your own skin if that means having body. top surgery awesome if it means not having any surgery at all cool if it means doing the whole kit and caboodle for whatever makes you happy i don't care they're not my if you want to take your boobs off when you get home the question go is, for it and i will never understand this why are people so obsessed with what's in other people's pants and what they, what, like, it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> I don't know why when you said that, I just thought of, like, a lizard in somebody's <laughs> pants. Like, why is he there? Do you know what's in the pants? <laughs> it's a little lizard. You know, I'm not, I'm not even wearing pants right now. And my daughter's like, why are you wearing a dress? And I just wanted to be like, people played basketball in dresses. <laughs> like, leave me alone. <laughs> I went to the Durham Museum yesterday. Oh, that was Ivory, too. Oh. But they have, like, a whole women's section. Oh, cool. I want to go back without my children. But, yeah, so I'm like, these bitches played basketball in dresses. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. we. I mean, they played baseball in dresses. Everybody yeah, no, everything, yeah. I'm like, You oh. gotta look feminine. Why? Why do I have to look feminine? Okay. So, my person next, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced this name. Please let me know and correct me. Is Shavella Vargas. Yeah, Vargas. I wanted to make sure because it's the loopy writing, and I was like, did I say that right? Did I accidentally think a G was an A and an A a G? (laughs) (laughs) So, there are many thrilling and salacious rumors about the life of Latin American idol and Mexican uh, uh, chancier Chavela Vargas from 1919 to 2012. There's one thing about her singing, uh, there's... Oh, there's the one about her singing at Liz Taylor's wedding in Acapulco and betting Ava Gardner at the reception. Or the moment Frida Kahlo uh, told her, I live only for you and Diego. Each story paints Vargas' vocal and sexual career as a roller coaster ride through decades of celebrity, celebrity lesbianism, a life lived big. <laughs> I'm like, get those A-listers. Um, born in Costa Rica, Isabella Vargas Liz, uh, Lizano 
moved to Mexico when she was 14. She sold chickens for bus fare, uh, hoping to make it as a singer. For years, she performed on the streets dressed in men's clothes and wielding a gun, singing Mexican rancheras, traditionally sung by men. She was discovered in the 1950s by song songwriter Jose Alfredo Jimenez, who supported the release of her first album. Vargas had fallen in with an influential artsy set that saw her fame grow throughout the 60s and 70s. She recorded more than 80 albums, toured Europe and the States, and knocked back a huge amount of tequila. She came out when she was 81 years old. I love that. She's just... She's like, it's now or never. See, she's she's the brawler to the yeah. scroller. <laughs> right there. In her later years, Vargas would tell how she was tormented by others because of her sexuality. Her rich, dark, and deep voice was edged with pain. She transformed old camp songs in, uh, into work of works of art. Refu uh, refused to change the gender of famous love songs to croon uh, obediently to men. So instead of like you know saying he instead of she, she was like fuck that. I'm saying she. <laughs> like I'm gonna say what I want to say. I love that. Um, and in the '70s, many of Vargas' songs became queer anthems. A muse of Pedro Almodovar. Again, sorry if I'm mispronouncing this. It was the Spanish director who encouraged Vargas to play her biggest, most impressive venue yet, Carnegie Hall, New York City. Carnegie Hall? And in 2003, she, she did just that. Not bad for a queer, gun-toning singer who took her first steps up to fame on the city streets. I love. So, apparently she had enough stories that you could probably write an entire book about her. But I just love someone who is that... I'm familiar with her music, so I may... I know, that's where you just go, Spotify! I'll have to do a listen. Is there something about that, like, deep husky voice that I'm just like, give it to me, I love it! And I can only imagine. And if Frida Kali was like, I only have love for you and my husband that I kind of hate, I'm going to believe her. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to do Lily L. Ooh. I believe it's L, but again... Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, if you've seen The Danish Girl, that is based off of Lily. Mm -hmm. right, Lily Elb, 1882 to 1931, is the Danish artist and gender pioneer whose brave social and physical transformation and frank pers personal diaries have inspired others across the decades. Known as Enar Mogens Wegener? Enar? It, it, it's hard. It's a... It's a Dutch. It's a Dutch name. The tenacious and ambitious <laughs> teenage boy <laughs> swamped a sleepy uh, Ford side village to study at the Royal Danish Academy of Fine Arts in Copenhagen. It was the Enar Fell for fellow arts Gerda Gottlieb. I'll just say that's it. Uh, the pair married in 1904. You're so like, I'm so sorry. And I'm just like, I don't know how to read. It's, it is what it is. Stick it as it is. <laughs> Deal with it on uh, your own terms. Yeah, the pair married, and I mean, obviously, I want to be respectful, but I also know, I know, I know my capabilities, and it's not. Uh, it's not there. It's we not said words. correct us, just correct us. Yeah. Angry emails work too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but just know we don't care if we block you. But still listen. <laughs> yeah. Just keep listening. Okay. The pair married in 1904, and their life together was full of color, art, and rather fancy dresses. Privately, Enor would model women's clothing for Gerda's high fashion illustrations, and her subsequent works <clears throat> offered a glimpse into another world, a world where she was a woman. The pair moved to Paris in 1912, and after years trying to suppress the inner identity, Enor named Lily. Paris seemed the perfect place to transition into her true self. Lily finally stepped out of the shadows and with Gerda into the nightlife of upscale Paris society. In the 1920s, Lily discovered the possibility of surgically altering her body at the German Institute of Sexual Science in Berlin. The term transsexualism was coined by the clinic's founder, gay rights do activist, Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld. Lily underwent a series of pioneering operations, both at the Institute and at the Dresden Clinic of Kirk Working Cross, 
warning cross. A man she described as a savior in 1930 to 31. Yet as Lily blossomed, her old life began to unravel. Friends rejected her. She was granted a divorce and her family desperately missed Enor, their beloved brother and son. She became untethered to the past and struggled to find acceptance. A final operation ended her life in September 1931. Earlier that summer, Lily had written to a friend that I, Lily, am vital and have a right to life. I have proved by living for 14 months, she explained. It may be said that 14 months is not much, but they seem, they seem to me like a whole and happy human life. One of my favorite things in this about her story and if you've seen the movie it is absolutely phenomenal it's i believe it won an oscar um uh the actress alicia van gilter who played her wife uh his her wife yeah um won an oscar for best actress it's amazing and as like his it's really well acted when before she had transitioned and the whole time, the wife was so supportive, and I just love that, especially in that time. But also, I feel like women have that natural compassion and mm-hmm. love, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, for being one of the first to have, even though like I understand missing that person, mm-hmm. but also like she said, it fourteen months is not much, but. They seem to me like whole and happy human well, life, and that's just and the amazing. thing that kills me the most is when people are always like, "I miss my so and so," and dead name them and misgender yeah. them, and it's like I last time I checked, that person is still there. How they look doesn't matter. They themselves, who they are as a person, their personality, their beliefs, their morals, their ethics are still there. Nothing is changing. Nothing. It's literally yeah. just them feeling more comfortable about who they are. Yeah, and it's obviously it's a ch- change for them, but it is like you said, it's still the same person. The person hasn't changed. Yeah, no, it's a, like a, not a ch- the person hasn't changed. It's a change for the person who feels like they exactly. miss that person, and mm-hmm. everyone knows like nobody likes change, but like change is good. Well, and if if in the not end all you, change is good, but right. a lot of change is good. Well, and who, if you love the person, you'll accept that change if it's going to really make them happy. Especially if they're not going to be in a terrible abusive spot. And I'm saying that more in like relation to yeah. status. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things like you know what? I'd rather you feel oppressed to make me more comfortable. Right. Like, no. Hey, can you no, can honey. you have really bad mental health for me because it makes me feel better? Yeah, it just makes me more comfortable. Can you just hate everything about you? Can you keep reading for this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Bringing you down. <sighs> All right, I'm going to put you on some lighter notes here. Putting on some lighter ones. I'm going to bring to you Rachel Maddow. So, Rachel Maddow, born in 1973, is the ultimate lesbian pinup, a polished political commentator, writer, and Emmy Award winner who, against all odds, has made a name for herself in the Dudes Club of TV news journalism. Maddow's quiet confidence and methodical approach have garnered her millions of viewers who love her habit of ignoring the personalities of politicians and, refreshingly, focusing on their actions instead. It's because of this that people really listen to Maddow, a classic liberal probably changing now in the tones of what liberalism is. Uh, she leaves furious right-wingers frothing at the mouth, but her meticulous fact-focusing investigations are hard to dispute, and it's all delivered in a delightfully witty, if not subtly ironic way. Uh, a, perenni- a perennial outsider, Maddow had an uneasy relationship with celebrity. In high school, at high school in California, she was a moody teen and a young adult, and she was especially bookish, graduating Stanford and Oxford University at a Rhodes, as a Rhodes Scholar, the first out gay student to receive this award. So, good honor. And hoping for a life of dusty academia and AIDS activism. It was on a radio show in Massachusetts, Massachusetts 
1999 that Maddow first tried her hand at, at broadcast journalism. And in 2008, she drifted into TV news, briefly filling in for a more seasonable broadcaster. She was a hit, and later that year, The Rachel Maddow Show first aired. In many ways, Maddow is still an outsider. She's one of the few openly gay news journalism in the news journalism journalists the in the U.S. I don't think that if you're gay, you have a responsibility to come out, Maddow had said. And happily dresses like a 13-year-old boy, quote-unquote. But Maddow doesn't want you to focus on her or her lesbian heartthrob status, but the transformative power that is journalism. She gets so much flack just for being out gay woman. Yeah, just for being her. Well, and I love the fact that she's true. It's like, what is that? Again, that goes back to what is me having to come out have to do with you. you. I don't owe you shit. You don't need to, I don't, no. I'm just giving you, and I love the fact that she's like, this is facts. I'm just, I I don't care what you're, how suave and charming you may be. Give me the facts. Because if you don't back them up, I'll fucking back them up for you. And you ain't going to like the answer to it. Yeah. But I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm literally reading science. (laughs) Statistics. (laughs) Great. Yeah, I'm sorry that my existence, you know, makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> How about you get over that? Read a book. <laughs> How about you read this one? Not out loud, though. <laughs> and not on a podcast. Yeah. We've already tested it. Terrible idea. Yeah. 10 out of 10 would not recommend. Next time I will read the thing eight times before I come on. She just okay. has it, like, memorized. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited about this because she's always been one of my heroes. Um, I've always kind of had an obsession with space and seriously thought about going to school to be an astrophysicist, and that still could be a possibility. I'm still young yet. I know you talked about it when you moved back to Omaha. You were like, I think this is the, if I go back to school, this is what I want to do. And I was like, dope, do it. Yeah. Um, So I'm doing Sally Ride. Sally Ride. Sally Ride. She, yeah. Sweet I mean, Sally I will tell you about her if you don't know about her, but here She's we go. She's amazing. Yes. Amazing. Uh, lesbians are everywhere, even in space. Surprise. Sally Ride. <laughs> <laughs> what? 1951 to 2012 mm-hmm. is the physicist, science educator, and first American woman to fly in space. A national treasure. <clears throat> her obituary revealed something previously unknown to an adoring public. For 27 years, she had shared her life with Dr. Tam O'Shaughnessy, a woman. In 1977, NASA began a recruitment drive for female astronauts. Ride was still a student at Stanford and spotted an ad in the school newspaper. She applied for the job, became one of six women picked to join the program, and on 18th June, it's tomorrow, Oh, my God. Yeah. 1883. <laughs> what? <laughs> she blasted off on a space shuttle mission, working a robotic arm to install satellites. She flew on the space shuttle again in 1984. At first, the press weren't quite sure what to make of a female astronaut. Hilariously. Oh, no. Someone with a uterus. Yeah. What if she gets pregnant in space? Will it be an alien? Have you heard about, uh, I don't mean to derail, but have you heard that, like, NASA scientists didn't, under, like, know how much how many tampons yes. to give to the women yes. who are going to international space? <laughs> and they're like, it's 100 enough? And she's like, I'm going to be gone for, like, 40 days. Yes. Like, Jesus. Like, <laughs> I yeah, did hear about that. Just like, how many do you need? Is 100 enough? <laughs> Sweet naivety of boys. And this is why sex education just, is important. Just, also, it's funny because this is the next thing. It's... <laughs> Hilariously, she was asked if she got moody when things didn't go right in training. But they were soon won over. God, it just takes me back to all those, like, bad interviews of people, like, the things people fucking ask women. All right. Sally and Tim met when they were girls. They were lifelong friends but became partners in 1985. Ride divorced her husband, a fellow astronaut, in 1987. Uh, they co-authored books together and helped run Sally Ride Science Ride's organization to make science fun and accessible to young girls in particular. Woo woo! At the first American woman in space, as the first American woman in space, there was huge expectations on Ride, and she felt it ac- <coughs> acutely. 
An intensely private person, she never spoke publicly about her relationship with Tam, but socially, to friends, family, and colleagues, they were known as a loving couple. Tam is now executive director of Sally Ride Science, now a nonprofit at the University of California, San Diego. There she carries the carries on Sally's work, the woman who went to the stars. This is not even like a fraction. Like there's so when much. When we say blurb, it's a blurb. Mm-hmm. There's so much that she has done for women in science and so much that she has done honestly for NASA and like like yeah. Sh- Amazing. So, if you also like the stars and shit like that, I would look more into her story if you're not super familiar with everything she's done. Well, and I think that's kind of the fun part about this cuz you read about people and you're like, "Okay, I know about like Oh, yeah, yeah, Oscar Wilde, cool, I know about it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah cool, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Like, but then you get people that you may not know or you kind of know a little bit about and you're interested and you read part of it and you're like, well, now I need to know Yeah, I can do a more. deep dive. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and show you that there's representation everywhere. You just have everywhere. to be open to seeing it, too, and having it be on the forefront. And speaking of that, I'm speaking of the stars... The stars. Oh. <laughs> that is funny how we did not plan this order okay. at all, so that's funny. <laughs> that was not a certain theme sure. from a sure. certain show that I'm about to read about. So my person is lovely Uncle George Takei. Takei? Takei. 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 I love that it, people call him Uncle George all the time, too. <laughs> it's great. So set phasers to Done! George Decay, born in 1937, is the galaxy-hopping Japanese-American actor, writer, director, and bon viande whose adventures to the outer reaches of the universe, years of activism, and sassy online takedowns have made him an intergalactic treasure. Sassy online takedowns. I love that. I actually have a story about him when we're done with this. So, uh, born in L.A., Takai was in... Takai w- was imprisoned with his family in the 1942 in 1942 in a series of internment camps in California and Arkansas until the end of World War II. Surprise! But you didn't know that. Uh, the experiment left an, indev- uh, uh, inde- an undeniable mark on him. He studied architecture, but like so many other Anglians. Ingl- uh, Ended up in the movies, and by the late 19, by late nineteen fifties, he had played bit parts in blockbuster films and TV's drama. But it was Star Trek nineteen sixty six that made him a star. A star. A star. On track to be a star. You're gonna be a star, baby. The series def- <laughs> definitely used camp, wobbly sci-fi to reflect the social issues of the times, from civil rights and racial uh, and gender equality to the futility of war. And Takai, as Lieutenant Sulu, was literally at the helm. He was the pilot. He was literally the pilot on the fucking ship. By the 1970s, Takai had based, uh, had decided to use his celebrity to speak out further cause close to his heart, starting with post-internment Japanese-American relations and most recently taking on queer issues. Takai was closeted for most of his adult life, but all that changed after Governor of California Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's a weird sentence to say, <laughs> vetoed the state's marriage equality bill. Takai was in, uh, incensed and... Decided to finally come out in 2005, thinking it was surely to be the end of his career. He couldn't have been more wrong, because we love Uncle George. Takai is arguably more famous now than at any point in his career. His social media stats are out of the solar system, and maintaining the elegant yet deadly wit, churning out daily bon mots and thrillingly acerbic social commentary. It's as if, after all those years of hiding away, his true thoughts and feelings have come out at once and the universe is all the better for it love it so as you know we're giant dorks my husband and i and we go to comic cons well he was actually at planet city comic con a couple of years ago like a few years ago so obviously had to say hi obviously no one was at his table what no one when we went there no one was at his table so i don't know if people went the day before early times people were breaking for lunch whatever and we were like, how is, how is he all alone? How is he all, all alone? Ourself. So we walk up there, and he's just like, the best thing ever happened. 
there was one other person getting a signature done. So Adam and I are standing like at the end of the table. He's signing a photo and obviously we're just really close so we can hear what's going on. And it was a photo that had 1966 Sulu, Sulu from like the 80s movies and then like Sulu now kind of a thing. And it was just like, <laughs> no, or no, it was like Admiral or Captain Sulu and then like 70s and 80s. It was like, yeah. Old and new, Sulu. <laughs> and he goes, this is what I used to look like. This is what I looked like as a captain. And what you see before you is the real Sulu. <laughs> Just like, so awkwardly, like, dorky about it. And then like, I was like so nervous because he was so sweet. And... Adam got chatting with him, and he was like, oh, you guys are all here, and shaking all of her hands, and I had gloves on for my cosplay, and he, <laughs> he shook my hand, he was like, oh, velvety, and I was just like, oh my god, I love you, <laughs> I can die happy, so charming in person, absolutely fantastic, you know, had a nice little mini conversation with him, you know, about how he was enjoying Kansas City and, you know, Star Trek and all that. And I'm just like, and I'm just like, I don't do well with celebrities because I get nervous. Do you? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's bad. Like, I'm literally just like, I love you. And so now I'm going to be super stiff like a really bad Barbie. I don't. I there's don't, there. I mean, I'm trying to think <sighs> if there's like, there's probably a couple people out there that I would like don't know what I would do Haley Williams is probably my number one person that like I would get really nervous around but I I really don't feel like like I've had I mean no one really big but like there's been people at restaurants I've worked in that come in and like I've been to so many different Mm -hmm. warp tours where like I've gone to tables and like talked with bands and stuff and um, you know, I, I don't I, know if it's because maybe I did that at such a young age that I'm just like, they're people. I just get nervous because I just like, I'm like, I, I think that's so normal, but I, I just feel out. like I don't, I <laughs> like, I feel like I don't see you as that kind of person that oh, would yeah. be. But so that's why it's no, kind of. No, no. And the, this is kind of funny. Um, I remember when Bo Burnham came to town years and years ago. This is like 10 plus years ago. Yeah. Like his like second or third tour he ever did like forever ago. Yeah. Um, and after the show, and this was, like, when Twitter was just, like, starting to get popular and things like that. And, like, we did, like, a meet and greet, and I have a photo with him, and I'm, like, super awkward. And he was just like, yeah, how are you doing? I was like, good. I follow you on Twitter. And I'm like, why did I say that? Can I run away now? Uh. <laughs> I'm like, and now I'm that <laughs> asshole that he writes about in the songs. Like, who's this bitch? Like, congratulations. So does X amount of million other people, you dumbass. <laughs> like, I was just like, I can't do this. Um, and I remember when I was Wonder Woman, I I saw Felicia Day, and she was like, I like your costume. And I was like, thanks. And she was like, what's that made out of? Reached across the table and, like, felt part of my costume. And I was just like, you're touching me. Oh, my Don't God. I feel like maybe yours is more natural for me. It's like I get so, like, if it was, like, a celebrity from a movie or TV show, like, I would be that annoying person that talks to them like they're their character. Right. Instead of just, like, talking to them, like... Yeah. Well, and, of course, then we got started... And I wouldn't, like... Like, yeah. and I've seen so many different, like, posts about how people, like, with The Office, um, Jenna Fisher, they're uh-huh. like, where's Jim? Like, I wouldn't be that kind of person, but, like, if they were, like, You're almost, blatantly, like, that blatant, like, person. Like, I would expect her to have the same personality and mannerisms as Pam. And then you'd be like, so why don't like, you? Um, okay, why aren't you, like, having witty comebacks with me? Why are you not staring off at a yeah. camera that doesn't exist anymore? Why won't you prank this guy with me? Rude. Um, that, that was, uh, that was my sidebar on Comic-Con, but I just had to share it, and I could go on and on with all my weird stories there, but, uh, I just, I think he's just something really great, and I love the fact that he was good representation in the 60s, too. And I did know that he was in a, a camp, Me and that's too. something that he yeah. has, I feel like he does shed light on that, because... He talks about it all it the time. It is something, of course, as American history loves to do, sweep it under the rug, like, we're... Yeah, and German camps were in, like, it was terrible, terrible. You know, God forbid you're different. And then, like, that's just scratching the tiny surface of it. But I'm really excited. I loved all the people we were able to kind of cover. So And there's so many more. There's so many more. Like, Keith Haring, amazing. Check him out. 
Um, there's, of course, um, Oscar Wilde, like I said, Virginia Woolf, you have Frida Kahlo, and of course, Marsha Little P. Johnson. Little Nas X. Little Nas X. He's getting it. What's up? <laughs> yeah. You have people like Ricky Martin. Demi Lovato. There you go. Ezra Miller. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying they're all great people, or maybe they are, but... Elliot Page. It's all about trying to share as much information and shedding light that they're just people trying to love and be who they want to be. Yeah. That's it. That's it. So, Pride, support, we love it. Thank you for joining us on Pride Month. Yeah, welcome to Pride Month. Woo-woo! Um, so... Unless you're a part of the community, then guess what? Every month is Pride Month. We just get louder in June! Yeah, just louder in June. Of course, it has to be the hottest month, because we're so hot. Mm-hmm. Nothing, uh, nothing hotter than a bunch of sweaty, sweaty, sweaty people. <laughs> Um, okay, so next week, or not next, well, next, yes, next week, but next week and next, next month, month whoop, whoop, um, whoop, whoop. we're going to do kind of a musical theater, screenwrite, playwright, um, don't know what we'll actually call the month, but we're going to just kind of bring in well, a lot of different things. Yeah, um, I think next month we will kind of touch base on musical and kind of the arts in that area, yeah. um, you know, live, live performance. So we're going to be talking about some pretty influential uh, playwrights. Yep. Um, I'm next week. I'm gonna I'm gonna do Jonathan Larson, who um, wrote Rent and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, tell mm-hmm. his story. And I'm excited because Rent did a lot for the community as well. Yes. And there's yes. a lot more to him than Rent, and I'm excited to kind of share his story. And I'm actually going to do a little bit more digging on who I want to do because as much as I ha- I love all of these other new playwrights and some of the past, I really want to make sure I'm picking someone who really brought a lot of joy to a lot of people in a lot of different ways, but also made an impact. So I have I have so many balances to do, so I'm going to have to figure it out. That's the show. you got to know right now. I can't end the episode until... Uh, well, um, <laughs> this is the show that never ends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, be sure to listen next week as we do that. Um, and check out our Facebook page at Life O Rama Podcast and our Instagram at Life underscore O underscore Rama. Um, we can't wait to hear from you about your favorite icons uh, for Pride Month. Um, and share your, you know, if you're, I, our pride in Omaha, we already talked about is in July, but Mm -hmm. if you're not from Omaha and you're having a pride in June and you want to share your pictures with us, you can share them anytime, but just tag us. Yeah. Tag us. We'd love to see it. Um, anything else from you? No, that'll be it. All right. Well then remember life's a bitch. Don't let it fuck you and keep rolling on.